0: www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, and I am your guide in this raucous journey of coping with the creative life. Fueled by your questions, we explore the trials and travails of productivity, discipline, art, and finances in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 1073.
1: Today we hear from Nicole, who asks... I'm trying to rework my main character introduction to my first-person story. The feedback I got was that they didn't know the gender, so I added, I, character name. But it feels clunky. Where have you seen a good intro of the character in first-person? Any advice on this? Also, what is your vision for the homestead?
0: Okay, well the I blah 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 was first introduced as far as I know by Robert Graves in I Claudius. The first line of which is I Claudius Drusus Nero Germanicus that that this, that and the other, blah blah blah. That's literally the first line. Mm -hmm. Including the blah 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 if I remember correctly. No, I'm serious. Is part of the character voice. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, this, thought... that, and the other certainly is. And I think blah, blah, blah also is. But I'd have to read it again to be sure. And my copy is in storage in another state right now. Yes, our move is still ongoing. We are where we're supposed to be. But not all of our stuff uh, is. we still got stuff in three different states. Anyway, um, that's a whole other other uh, story, which is very annoying.
1: But she did ask about our vision for the homestead, so I think it is relevant to the question. <laughs> right. Um, how do you introduce first person? Um, and in particular, implied in the question is, how do you make clear the person's, a person's gender identity and uh, maybe race or ethnicity or Racial characteristics when they're telling the story from first person. This We've-
0: requires a command of voice, which is a difficult thing to gain. I say this as someone who has concentrated primarily on voice since I was a wee little youngster. The elements that make up voice are pacing, word choice, scansion, uh, slang, attitude prejudice, dialect and uh, accent which is not the same as dialect. What happens is that most people tend to write in what uh, most Americans especially tend to write in what what let's call Ohio neutral. Ohio neutral is the accent that you see on television. It's what most people mistakenly call the California accent except the California accent is ever so subtly different. Ohio Neutral is the accent from the Northern Ohio Valley, and it was chosen as the official accent of newscasters in the 1950s. Before that, the Mid-Atlantic accent was the rage for the, um, for the New York elite, and they were the ones that had the, uh, bulk of the roles in both in high-powered acting and in, uh, radio. But as television came up in the post-war era, the idea that the network execs had was we shouldn't be emphasizing the class differences between us and our audience. We should be building solidarity because everyone's been through this war together. People are going to bridle at the class, at being reminded of class distinctions, and they're going to rebel, and they're not going to watch our shit anymore. So newscasters whether their native accent was Ohio neutral or not, were all trained in elocution for the accent of the Northern Ohio Valley. Um, And the reason is that the Northern Ohio Valley doesn't have any of the flourishy parts of speech that generally denote a heavy dialect. It's fairly understandable to everyone of any dialect or accent or background. And it doesn't have... The feeling of being born in a place. It feels... It's kind of like British RP. It feels like an accent from nowhere. And therefore an accent that could be spoken everywhere. Now this gets to be interesting when you live in an era where regional accents and dialects are being erased because everyone is on YouTube and everyone's on TV and everyone watches the same streaming services and TV channels this really started with the advent of the internet and actually slightly before the internet it started with the buy up of all the radio stations by Clear Channel Once regional radio was eradicated, regional accents started to disappear, because people would model themselves, everyone does this because humans are social climbing species, people would model their speech patterns on what they heard in the media they consumed every day. And when you go from listening to the DJ that hangs out at the local radio station five miles down the road, to... The Talking Heads on CNN, or to the Clear Channel DJ who's in L.A. and he's being simulcast over to your place in rural Maine or whatever. (laughs) You begin subconsciously to model your speech patterns, not on the local dialect that you're surrounded by, but on the aspirational dialect from the people who are obviously successful, because they're on
1: TV. If you live in some place like the Midwest or California, you can really see how much the accents have degraded by visiting the Northeast or the South or any other place that has a distinctive accent. The The accent is still there and it's really strong among the older people that have been living there forever. the The Gen X and younger boomers still have the accent, but it is softer than it is for the old people. And the millennials and the Zoomers and the kids have almost no accent at all.
0: And what it is, they all have Ohio neutral, is what they have. Mm-hmm. With a little subtle flavoring of the local. Mm. But there's whole parts of speech, like the rhotic Rs and the uh, the transitory R's. It's a big one in certain British accents. The regional accents are one of the great ways to do to do differentiation in voice. One of the things that gives away whether your character is masculine or feminine is the concerns of the speech and the construction of the grammar. a Woman with a forceful voice will have one particular grammatical way of doing things, assuming they're American. This changes um, in different countries. A woman who is not forceful but is generally kind of submissive will speak a different way. They actually have different grammar, as will a woman who's depressed. And all three of those categories for a man are also distinct and different. You create character voice by layering all these elements together. And when you get into LGBT characters, then you get all sorts of extra confounding factors depending on where they grew up and what the gay subculture was like at the time they grew up and what sorts of signaling is being layered in. And all that sort of stuff. What's happening, what happens with a lot of beginning writers is you, is we all write with the voice in our head, and if the voice in your head is Ohio neutral, and it's college educated, and it's, um, deliberately inoffensive, then you're going to sound just like everybody else. Yeah. Because your language is, uh, your language and thought forms are homogenized. The... If someone tells you, in in a first-person narrative, someone tells you they can't tell who your character is, what's happening is you are writing them as neutral, probably because you have been trained to speak and think in neutral terms in order to get along in a society that's prone to hyper-offense, that punishes nonconformity, and that doesn't have a place in it for the music of language but as broad as that sounds i'm not talking about america i'm talking about waspy college educated middle class and upper middle class aspirational america that's the subset that's our cultural ohio neutral because those are that's the pool from whom the dominant cultural voices are pulled so if you want your characters to sound different to sound identifiable What you have to do is you have to give them opinions. You have to give them attitudes. You have to give them a way of speaking that is not the same as everybody else. And you have to be willing to run with it, and you have to not worry that it's going to bother someone. Anything Bothering a reader is a feature, not a bug. Anything that is distinctive enough to have a sense of self is going to irritate the shit out of somebody. Just like some people absolutely die for good chocolate,
1: and other people absolutely die if you force them to eat chocolate. Anything and that... some people are quite in the middle and just want a Hershey's milk chocolate bar. Right. Nothing wrong with that, but it is kind of generic. A neutral of chocolate. It is the Ohio neutral of chocolate anything that has any
0: strong aspect any sharp edges any unique identifier is going to turn someone off it might turn them off powerfully and for reasons you have no control over and maybe for reasons you will never know there you're going to f- uh, let's say that you have a strong gay character who is really gay and talks like it Oh my god, you can tell they're gay just by the way they sniff the bread as they go by the bakery. And I grew up in San Francisco. There are people who are gay in that way. And it's utterly delightful if you just enjoy it for what it is. They have a thing. It's born of a subculture. It's got a history. It tells a story. You have a character like that in a book. You are going to have some people who appreciate it, who love the distinctiveness. They can tell your characters apart. This one has this flavor; that one has that flavor. The uh, like Lord Ackledama from uh, from uh, Gail's Parasol Protectorate voy- uh, books. Lord Ackledama is so gay that he makes Oscar Wilde look straight. And. He's so, and she has so much fun with it. And he is the stereotypical flamer fop. And it's fantastic, but people do react differently. Some people love him. Some people find him irritating. Some people find him to be advancing the homosexual agenda, which, and, which they do not like. Um, which Gail's comment is, it took you this long to figure it out. <laughs> because that's Gail and then there are people who read it as a negative gay stereotype so instead of being offended that it's so gay that it's making the homosexuality hard to ignore they hate it because it's so gay it's making homosexuality hard to ignore and they want it to be easier to ignore in order to aid gay integration, as opposed to want it to be easier to ignore so they can pretend gay people don't exist. Or don't exist in the kinds of numbers or cul- places of cultural prominence that they do. Same, you know, opposite sides of the spectrum, same kind of mechanic. Even some of the same reasoning. This is gonna happen anytime you've got a character that is strongly drawn. You're just gonna have to accept that. The alternative is to draw characters weakly so that they do not have a strong flavor. So they may be inoffensive, but they're not going to be memorable. So my advice to you if you're getting this kind of uh, feedback is to work on making your characters a lot more voicey. And I will leave you here with a reading from the Clark Lantham book that has not been released yet. It's called Behind the Hypnotic Toad. This is the opening of that book, and I want you to listen to the language and the way that the language reveals, without ever saying so, that the character is a middle-aged male with a history of violence and an attitude problem. I've been in the dark for about an hour now. You get cornered, captured, and shot at enough, you get to the point where you can tell time just by the state of your bladder. If they keep me in here much longer, they're going to have to redo the upholstery. It'd be a hell of a shame. This heap smells brand new. The only reason I'm not letting loose right now is I don't want to sit in my own puddle, but if they hit many more bumps, I might not have a choice. It serves me right for drinking a Big Coke Slurpee in the last bad neighborhood in San Lorenzo. 90 degrees in early May apparently makes me stupid level thirsty. Not long after real estate prices whizzed from feudal to imperial, houses in the bad neighborhoods in Oakland wound up with dirt that was more expensive than gold, if you were paying by the ounce. Anyone who wasn't sucking on the tech tit got pushed south out of West Oakland, straight down into San Leandro, San Lorenzo, and Hayweird, where they ran up against the valley's commuter bubble, or, as I like to call it, Satan's right testicle. The left one crept up the peninsula and sat on San Francisco a few years ago. Now the devil's dragging the other one up north so he can fart on San Jose without having to shift his posture. If you lived here the last few years, you'd believe me. It used to be a nice neighborhood where you didn't have to be rich to get by. Now it's where the poor folks go, because everybody's got to go somewhere. The poor folks, yeah and the gangbangers and the hookers and the druggies and the broken windows and the car theft rings that follow them around like a horny mutt on the scent of rut. Nobody wants police in poor neighborhoods, including all of the cops and half of the residents. You dump cops in the slums, it's like chlorine in a fishing pond. You might kill the scum and algae and parasites, but you're going to poison a lot of good fish that aren't doing any harm. And there are wounds in this place that run too deep for anything to heal them, but fast cauterization to kill all the damaged tissue. Yes, that is a euphemism. I live in the shadow of Silicon Valley, so do the rest of us now. Euphemisms are how you stay alive. That's the opening passage, uh, opening half page for Behind the Hypnotic Code is the new anthem book coming out, and you can tell almost everything you need to about this character, even if you've never read another one of these mysteries just by that opening. You get his worldview. You get his biology. You get the relationship he has with his biology, which is a total giveaway for the fact that this is a dude. You get his history of violence. You get the anger and the cynicism lurking just below the surface, and the cynical humor that he uses to manage it all. These books have three, sometimes four, different points of views. Most of them are Lantham, but they alternate with his assistants. His assistants have different ways of speaking. I never headline a section telling you who's talking because you don't need to have that prompt. You can tell by the way the language works. Now, I've concentrated on voice all of these years, primarily because that's kind of how I got into fiction, was actually audiobooks, radio dramas, audio stories. I was an addict. Even after I learned to read, And I read voraciously, and still do. I do audiobooks 10 to 15 times more, and radio dramas, and everything. I'm very audible. You can tell by the way I talk about the relationship between music and language. I studied poetry for several years in college, and the technical aspects of poetry, as well as reading all the great poets. There are things you do with language... Audible things. Everything that happens on the page goes in through the visual cortex and then gets rooted through the auditory cortex and decoded as sound. At least, if you're a hearing person and you have that uh, developed. I'm not quite sure how the neurology works for someone who's deaf. But it goes, it routes through the auditory cortex and through the emotional parts of the brain. The music is everything. And everything you need to know about most people, at least on an initial pricey, whether they're real-life people or whether they're characters, is oh. implied in the way that they speak in the first ten minutes you get to know them. It doesn't mean you will know them completely, but it means that unless they're very, very practiced at giving false impressions, you're going to subliminally pick up on what kind of person you're dealing with, and what sorts of behaviors and attitudes you can expect out of them. And then you adjust your expectations accordingly. That's that's how humans work. So if you're getting this kind of feedback, I would spend some time concentrating on voice. Read books out loud to yourself. And I really mean read them out loud in your own voice. Listen also to audiobooks, but Pick the books the authors whose voices resonate most with you make you feel most at home. Read passages from those authors out loud so you can taste and feel the rhythm and texture of their words in your mouth. It will help you tremendously. That's what I got for you. I'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty Nakian, and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions, Incorporated. The text is copyright 2023 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2023 Artistic Whispers Productions, Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to the author.